Hey, all you creatures. It's me, Mark. Creatures from where? Cyberspace, I think. Mark, I you know. seem beat down. Uh, guys, I'm I'm in a lot of pain right now. This has been a hard this has been a hard month. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are aware. We've been watching the worst movies of these series. And we see some real bad ones so far. It's true. We still got one to go. And I guess that's why we're here. Probably so. the best of the bunch. No, it's not. Best of the bunch? Best. Slap him for me. We are on the opposite <laughs> sides of the table, listener. <laughs> I suppose we'll talk about that later. But before we get into it, this is the Grave Talk Podcast. You clicked on it. You know. I'm Mark. He's Garrett. He's John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Better than you. I'll tell you what, God, man. Mark. I'll be better next week. Bringing the heat, yeah. man. When we start talking about some more entertaining movies like The Exorcist 3. Ooh. Can we give a special shout out to our listeners for picking arguably the worst fucking option out of our vote? Is it though? I mean, we didn't see the one with uh, Christy. Okay, so I actually did some research. When we get into it, I did some research on that too. I will say they, they both sound equally horrible. Here's, here's, here's the thing, guys. As someone who subjects themselves to watching every Hellraiser movie, every single one is bad after... Three. Three. Yes. Every single one. They don't, there they're may be gradients of bad, but none of them are going to surprise you and be like, whoa, this is a fucking sleeper hit. Uh, they're all terrible. What about that new one, Judgment, that just came out? Wasn't that uh, actually designed to be very close a- to this one, actually? Yes. It, and there's one that's so bad that you can't even really find on the internet and you have to order it by a DVD. Really? Yes. Uh, and I probably have the only one in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I you want to borrow that. it? John will lend it to you. Yo, I definitely, and if you forget to return it, I won't notice. Frightmare <laughs> takes place in this this state. I guarantee you there's some other fucking nerd out there that's got that movie. <laughs> it, fucking two thumbs down on that one. Anyway, I don't, I'm, I'm so surprised that one didn't beat this one, but then this one's so bad, no one even bothered to review it, so yeah. fair enough. <laughs> well, we're talking about Hellraiser Inferno today, the fifth entry in the Hellraiser franchise. But before we do, what you guys been up to since last time? I saw Gretel and Hansel. Uh, Did you really? Yes. I, no, I'm lying. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it didn't seem like something you were, like, super stoked about. My wife really wanted to go see it. Who? Uh, my, wi- my wife. <laughs> I wanted to see it. I still haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Yes. It's not scary. Uh, it's gorgeous. It is very, very, it's filmed. Like the cinematography is amazing. The color work, the light work, tremendous, um, kind of a chore to get through. What do you mean by that? Uh, it's, it just drags. There's not a lot that goes on and it doesn't go on for a long time. Well, isn't the story like two pages long? Yeah. Uh, but I like the twist that they put on it. I like like, well, don't spoil that. Yeah. Still well, the up. twist is that Gretel is in front of Hansel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's in the title, so I don't know if it's much of a spoiler. Ooh, what a twist. Yes, it focuses much more on Gretel. Uh, it's really good. Uh, in I would recommend it, but I wouldn't go in expecting like a, you know, a real horror movie. It's more of a, like a, I don't even know, a th- not a thriller, just a, almost like a drama almost. Like an atmospheric kind of... It's kind know. of... People compare it to The Witch, and I could see that. It's sort of in that, like, just slow burn, A24 interesting knockoff. Interesting choice to... Interesting subject to make a kind of art horror film with. Yeah, uh, but I would definitely recommend it. I thought it was well worth the watch, so... Slow burn, but pretty to look at. Yes, definitely. You okay. would find you'll find yourself like I feel like you could pause that movie at any point in time, like print out what you're looking at and make it a poster. Like it's very pretty. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Garrett, right where you went up to? I got some interesting news this week. I'm not dying, but you're getting married. 
Evan, no, not, <laughs> not yet. I'm not going to subject anybody to that one. They are making a Monster Mash musical. Oh, really? Are you going to be in it? I'm sure they contacted I, you first. God, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Evidently, it's the dude that helped write CeeLo Green's Fuck You song. Okay. Is like helming it and like... There's another director on board. Anyway, it's it's still early stages, but it's a lo- it's the same company that's doing all the monster movies, The Invisible Man, The Invisible Woman, all those things like that. Mm. They're they're in the process. It's either greenlit or it's about to be greenlit or some shit like that. Um, a monster mask mash kind of musical movie. I right. do not know how I feel about this. I am a highly intrigued, but you know they're going to do a version of the monster mash that they think is clever. Yeah, and I'm very worried it's not going to be as clever as they think. Well, I'm, I feel like they're going to try to like Hamilton this shit. Up. Oh, that's exactly it. There's going to be a rap version, and I'm hoping. Oh no, <laughs> that it's a it's a monster smash. That's what I'm hoping. It's a graveyard smash, you ignorant fuck. Oh damn! God damn it! Here's John. the thing about that song. I don't like it. <laughs> oh. I'm, oh. What? <laughs> I've never once in my whole life been like. I could really go for the Monster Mash oh, right now. God, why are you even on this and podcast? When it's, <laughs> when it's playing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a song. Are you more of a Christmas music guy? No. I do really like musicals, though, so I am looking forward to it. What the hell is your problem? John's really into Arbor Day, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone knows Arbor Day has the best holiday songs. He celebrates privately. It's it's rushes. And the trees all fit in the field. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We don't have a lot of our own songs, so we just steal other songs. (laughs) This little tree of mine is a very popular one. (laughs) <laughs> Reappropriation. So, I am, I'm into it. Oh, man. It's for um, the trees. According to HollywoodReporter.com, this is uh, being directed by Grammy-nominated music video director Matt Stowalski. He's the one from the Seal of Green you were yes. talking about. Oh. The direct, director of the video, sorry, not the yeah. guy who wrote it. So I hope he's got some musical talent. Hopefully that's not the last thing he did. That video feels like it was 15 years ago. It's it probably Yeah, was. <laughs> I think it was that long. <laughs> I, uh, I hope for the best, for your sake, Garrett, that this turns out to be something entertaining. That's the thing. is I'm, I'm, I'm highly cautious, but hey, anything that gets more eyes on the Monster Mash in general, I'm cool with. Or ears. Bobby Boris Pickett Estate, get at me. <laughs> I am your number one fan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I haven't seen anything recently, but I did uh, start playing a video game called Erica. It is in the same vein of, say, like the Bandersnatch episode on Netflix of the Black Mirror. Remember okay. that kind of interactive movie? So it's kind of one of those you can play with just your phone. It's about a girl named Erica whose mother is uh, passes away suddenly, and then she witnesses her father murdered with a weird carving left in his chest. And it's all about trying to unravel this mystery. And he works at like this um, home for the uh, mentally unstable, I guess. I don't okay. Know. And it's pretty interesting. And it's one of those choose your own adventures. There's multiple ways to all the, the pieces game. line up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a telltale. It is. Yeah. Okay. But only like it's, it's like, like a choose your own adventure. Yeah. But it's real people. Right. So it's, it's completely shot like a movie. Oh, you know shit. I mean? Okay. So it's uh, not so like it's, an, it's a full motion video game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whoa, that's it's, way 90s. I like that. Yeah. I know. Time. It's, it's been fun to play the, one of those again. I was like, oh, yeah, these used to be pretty neat. Yeah. Um, Except how's the acting? Because the acting is what ruined those FMV games so much. I hope it's bad because that's the key to capturing my nostalgia. Now, this could be my bias, 
But whenever I see British people act, I kind of give them an extra couple points. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I, I feel like I can't tell when British people are acting poorly easier than I can tell when American actors are acting poorly. You know, British people are just always on for I me. Know, they're just on. <laughs> anyway. I, that, I was, now, second question. Is the, the video about the size of a postage stamp? No. Full screen, 4K. It's beautiful. Whoa. I'm telling you, dude. I, I don't know that my mind can understand that. But yeah, I, check it you out. You mean the screen 75% like standard stock image and then like a little like quarter yeah. part of the video and you can like count the pixels oh yeah there's 12 <laughs> you can beat the game roughly in two and a half three hours but like i said uh depending on which options you choose in the game it changes the story entirely like there's different characters you may not even see if you go down one path wow so it's got replay replayability and as you play each um you know timeline you learn more of the backstory in this kind of weird society if you will that's taking place is there any shunting no shunting, but that would have been neat. Well, that you saw. There That's could true. be shunting. There could be a path that leads to shunting. Ooh. There's yeah. always a path that leads <laughs> There's to shunting. There's always a path. That's a shirt right there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, check it out. Erica, I believe it's on PS4, Xbox, and Steam, nine ninety nine. Not a big ask. You heard him What here. did you say? Not a big ask. Oh, you said it's not a big ass, and I was like, I'm sorry, is this a new rating system I'm not aware of? <laughs> yes, it's uh, not out of many ass <laughs> options. A <laughs> um, little bit of news, because it is related to the director that we were talking about. Um, the director, Scott Derrickson, exited the project of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and to replace him, they got Sam Raimi. Well, they're in talks to get Sam Raimi. It's not official yet. They're in talks to get Sam Raimi. That sounds like a big step up. What? Well. Fuck you, man. No, Scott Derrickson, if you're out there listening, man, you nailed Strange. You nailed Strange. Also, he nailed Sinister. Hellraiser Inferno? Yes. That's this was probably one of his early, uh, I don't think he wrote Based this. Based on this. He did. Wait, Scott Derrickson wrote this? Yeah, he's got writing credit on it. Well, I, may, I bet he went back and punched up the script that was given to him. Punched it up. If this is the punched well, up well, script. Because this movie was a script that was owned by Dimension Films. Right. And then they reappropriated it as a Hellraiser movie where they added some scenes, they wrote some things. And I bet, I bet Derrickson, I may be wrong about this, but I hope I'm right. I bet he went in and punched this up to make it the Hellraiser movie. And I don't bring this up to knock his directing ability. I bring this up strange to say that I feel like, you know, based the fact that the strange two is supposed to be more of a horrific movie or horror movie. Yeah, right? but they've been walking that back. They oh, have, have they? yeah, they've they been pulling it back okay, a little bit. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I was really stoked for that. Me too. So when they said Sam Raimi, I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, he's made plenty of horror movies. Why not? He's also done big, big budget superhero movies. And if we can ignore. No, 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 no. Spider-Man I will 3. not let you ignore yeah, we can. his biggest sin. No, you don't. You don't get to basically like say Hitler was a good artist, but he didn't ignore the other stuff. Whoa. No. Well, all right. Sam Raimi <laughs> is down. not Hitler here. Calm down. I know. I'm just also, saying. Also, he's come out and said multiple times, A, he didn't want to make that movie. And there was huge studio meddling. So I can, in fact, forgive him for Spider-Man he, 3. He needs to go on record and say the whole fucking like emo dancing was not on on him he needs to have the whole sunshine keys falling on my head in spider-man 2 not be on him he may have okay i'm telling you he's he did not want that movie if to the man wants talking goats and bullshit he needs to keep that shit out of dr strange no, whoa more talk yeah goats, exactly too far no, i was with no. you for a second <laughs> had me then you lost me <laughs> don't no. forget about a, a spider-man 2 Amazing. Okay, I'm saying, dude, like he's done good things. There's no yeah, reason the to count sign, him out the, yet. The little oh God. okay. Look, look, look. This is my thing. I'm a little bitter 
because I really wanted Scott Derrickson to do Doctor Strange 2. After the script that him and Cargill turned in on the first one, I was stoked. I love that movie. It's so good. They handled a character that's arguably one of, I would say arguably probably one of the more difficult characters to fully capture in a movie without like cheapening it. Like they did such an amazing job. Yeah. So to see them leave this project for whatever reason, I mean, I'm sure there's no bad blood or whatever, but it's, you know, they didn't even do a script. They didn't do a pass on the script either. Uh, well, I, I heard before I knew that he had left, I had heard that be, he wanted to be more horry than yes. Marvel did. And I think that's where they split. Yes. And also Scott Derrickson is still producing strange too. He's not completely removed from the project. Okay. So I don't think it's like, I mean, that's again, like it's not Sam's fault. You know, no, to, no, no. to get mad for Sam coming in. Get, don't get me wrong. Sam Raimi is an amazing director. I, you guys know I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his movies, but it's just a personal taste. I'm not going to knock the dude's talent. The guy is a phenomenal director. He did kick out some amazing movies. I just worry after the trajectory we saw, Spider-Man 3, I mean, the last thing that I've seen him actually direct, I'm worried. I'm like, yo... Don't bring any of that over to this project. The MCU got away from all that bullshit. I think From Hell was after Spider-Man 3. Drag Me to Hell. Drag Dra Me to Hell, No, yes. that was after 2. Definitely. Drag Me to Hell was his last film he's Wait, directed. Wait, no yeah. way. Yeah. Was it was like... 08, 09. Yeah, it was very, quote-unquote, recent compared yeah. to Spider-Man. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought he did Drag Me to Hell between Spider-Man 2 and uh, As 3. soon as 3 wrapped, he went straight into doing a horror movie again, and that's what he did, was Drag Me to Hell. He needed to wash the taste of 3 out of his mouth, so... <laughs> <laughs> you think that's you think that's what it was? And then he made an amazing yeah, sure. horror film. Well, you said Drag Me to Hell was a script long before yes, it was. he even started Spider-Man 1. So he's like, I'm going to go dust this off. You know? Yeah, I think it was one of those cases where they're like, all right, I'll go do your Spider-Man movie, but then you have to make my movie, you know, and that's how he got this one made. I did read that they are rewriting the story. So that makes sense to what you're saying. They're kind of pull back that horror stuff. That, man, I want them to do more brave yeah. Directions with these things. I think that would be a great uh, or a great thing to see a horror movie in Doctor Strange's universe. I agree, but they could also not do that and make hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> so I think they'd make their money regardless. Well, let's let's we, we don't know. We don't know how far they wanted to take this. Let's be realistic. This is, you know, yeah, I mean, it's reading, be reading, the, reading like, Doctor Strange comics for years and years and years. There's some creepy stories. And you can do some cool stuff. But let's be honest, like nothing is like in theory, it could be really freaky and crazy and creepy. But visually, how you do that, you know, a giant studio may have different opinions on what a couple horror director, a couple horror writers want to do. So I don't I don't fault the process. I think if Sam Raimi comes on and he and he treats the, the property with respect, which he likely will. We just don't get a lot of fucking Spider-Man 3 action in there. I'm cool with it. I just, oh man, this is such a weird subject. I knew you were going to bring this up. I knew you were going to bring this up and it was going to like just trigger me on all ends because I just kind of don't want anybody to touch it except for <laughs> Scott and Cargill. I get that. But I mean, in the comic world, you get so many different I know, I know. And thank God we do because, you know, like we get some amazing ideas. Like when Tom King wrote Vision, and which the TV show is going to be based off of. Um, you know, we get some amazing things with different writers and I'm, I'm all for that, but I feel like those two bring such a unique perspective to that character and also their other projects that I'd, I'd like to see what they do with a little darker, little creepier Dr. Strange story. But if you're going to get someone to follow up, Sam Raimi's not a bad fucking choice. You know. And you know, Scott Derrickson, I'm sure he's going to do more. We can look forward to that too. Right. Oh yeah, I think I think they're right now, like a legit horror movie right now. I say legit, like, like in the horror genre, not mm -hmm. like a... 
you know, half and half. In the horror genre, such as this great movie, Hellraiser Inferno. I'm not done talking about Doctor Strange. Oh, I think we are. (laughs) Well, I've got one other thing I was going to mention, that Michael Waldron is rewriting the script. He's currently heading the writing of the show Loki, and I guess he's also done some stuff in Rick and Morty. Oh, joy. So that definitely leads credence to them changing up the script. You don't like Rick and Morty? Not a Rick and Morty fan. Oh, this must, now I know what it felt like when I said I didn't like the monster bash. <laughs> I understand now just the betrayal and the pain. It's it's kind of enjoyable. There are some really funny moments. I think um, Dan Harmon mm-hmm. and some of those writers are just amazing writers. Full props to them. I just the Rick and Morty characters. Sometimes they're like they're really funny to me, and sometimes it's just kind of like eh. Like I just I'm so lukewarm on Rick and Morty. That's a real Morty thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Scott Derrickson's 2000 hit Hellraiser Inferno. Hit. Wow. You heard it here. Hit with the VHS club. (laughs) Straight to video. That's right. This did not get a theatrical release. This one stars Craig Sheffer as Detective Joseph Painting the Ass Asshole Thorn. What a grumpy dude this guy was, man. Oh, that's just scratching the surface to... <laughs> I mean, it's it's not hard to see why, what happened to him happened to him. Yeah. Nicholas Totoro as Detective Tony Nenonen. You mean Detective Palindrome? Yeah. I oh, liked God, him. He was good. That whole scene, I forgot about that. Yeah. Is, he, uh, is he related to John Totoro? <laughs> Keeping with our, uh, our oh. thing of, are they related? I think he was in NYPD Blue, so he's a professional fake cop. Uh, my roommate was like, she's like, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I, he looks familiar, but again, I couldn't tell if it was just because like, you know, the way he was acting seemed familiar or if like his character, yeah. like him as a person. He was like the best actor in the movie. Oh, he was great. Nicholas is the younger brother of John Turturro. Yeah. That's right. All right. Another relation. So nobody fucks with the Jesus. We were really putting them connections out yeah. there, laying them bare for I, I, the public to see. On Wikipedia, by the way, Nicholas is the top rated, uh, the first person in the cast list. Our man Craig Schaefer is third after <laughs> Pinhead. <laughs> well, and that's how I view this movie as so well, actually. Turturro, Bradley, and then Schaefer. Schaefer, yeah. Wow. it's weird. I feel like James Remar who plays Dr. Paul Gregory, might have gotten a higher billing than that. I saw James Remar's name, and I was like, oh boy, here we go. Well, actually, I saw James Remar's name, and I thought I could make it out since the font that they used wiggles and fades as it's on the screen. I was like, it's impossible to read this font. It's a pretty bad font. And lastly, of course, Doug Bradley reprising his role as Pinhead, or... What do they call him? The lead Cenobite. The engineer. In the original film, he wasn't called Pinhead. He was oh, oh, fuck. I don't even remember anymore. He doesn't like being called Pinhead. He does not right? like That's to be called thing. Pinhead. I thought it was like just the lead Cenobite. Isn't that what it is? We didn't do our research. <laughs> I didn't expect you to... Uh, uh, Going back to 1987. Look, when I get a nice meal at a fancy restaurant, I'll read the ingredients and see what's on the plate. When I get a hot dog, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Barker, who did not coin the name Pinhead, vowed to rename the character, and he's normally referred to as the Hell Priest, which is a title he held, ironically, in Hell. (laughs) Well, all right. But weren't they not from Hell? It wasn't until part three they actually added the Hell thing in? You know, you and Clive can uh, hash that out. I don't know where he got the Hell Priest name from, but I do know Clive Barker does not like, or did not, maybe he's changed his mind, I don't want to speak for him, but it is widely, you know, known that he did not like the name uh, Pinhead. Hmm. Garrett is correct. In IMDb, he's just called Lead Cenobite in part one. There you go. Yeah. So, so he's many names. Because when we saw Doug Bradley, 
at Texas Frightmare, he kept referring to that character as the lead Cenobite. True. Lead Cenobite. And he never said Pinhead because evidently that dude is not like... <laughs> he doesn't like it either, I guess. Not a fan of it. Uh, Just embrace it already. Yeah, it's give not up. that big a deal. <laughs> it's been how long? 40 years? Yeah. 30? Eventually they'll bring back new Coke. <laughs> also, all of these names are shittier. <laughs> Pinhead is an iconic name. Hell Priest sounds like... Oh, I don't know. I kind of like Hell Priest. That sounds like an NPC I kill 50 of in Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Diablo, yeah, yeah, you know, like... <laughs> Well, here's what the back of the VHS box has to say about Inferno. It's hot, baby. Woo! Garrett, New York Times. Good. That's going on the next <laughs> print. You, before you jump into this, I just want to set some expectations. For a movie called Inferno, there is no fire. There is ice, but there is not... not anything, except for one candle. I don't think there's fire anywhere in the movie. <laughs> so. I actually think I know why it's called Inferno. All right. In well, case we'll you couldn't there. tell, this is very Dante's Inferno. Uh, Fire under the detective's ass to solve it's the, this case. It's him trying to go through the layers of like boo, his. Boo like, this man! <laughs> boo this film! <laughs> that's my that's my assumption. Is this is very Dante's Inferno inspired? So they called it Inferno. I could definitely see them thinking that. All right, continue with what is I'm sure going to be a great back of the box. The back of the box. Here we go. A spine-tingling thriller, Hellraiser Inferno is the next inescapably terrifying chapter in the heart-stopping Hellraiser series. Why do these people get paid money to do this? It's the powerful story of a shady L.A. detective who finds himself lost in a darkly nightmarish world of evil when he solves the mysterious puzzle box that releases the diabolical demon Pinhead. They're doing it. Against his will. Twist right out the window. (laughs) As those around him begin to meet tragic fates, he sets out to conquer the horrifying pinhead and escape eternal hell. Does that make sense? No. Okay. Going on. (laughs) Also starring popular Nicholas Tutoro (laughs) of TV's NYPD Blue and Excess Baggage, Hellraiser Inferno combines great special effects and relentless thrills to deliver exciting edge-of-your-seat entertainment. I don't think that is true. That's one of the that worst ones. Yeah, that's one of the worst backs, back of the boxes that we've ever read on this show. Do we want to comment on the fact that he said he was an L.A. detective and he's in Denver, Colorado? Yes, I was confused. About, <laughs> I was like, wait, did I mistake where this movie was? Because they said Denver a few times. Yeah, this movie, like, I think the first half of this movie, like, they never mentioned it. And I was like, oh, they've got to be, like, in California or something like that. And then it was all, like, you think I joined the Denver PD? And I was like, wait a minute, what? We're in Denver. <laughs> I was well, like... Maybe that was leftover script business before this turned into I a Hellraiser movie. I bet. Pro- yeah, that makes... Th- well, why even change? It doesn't matter. They couldn't afford to film in LA. They're like, fuck it, we're going to Denver. I wonder so, if this is the sales pitch and they just put it on the back of the box. Right. That sounds good. Print it. Hey, John, so you said at some point in these movies, was it number four mm-hmm. or, number, or this one that they they ceased being original Hellraiser This Hellraiser is the first stories. one. Okay. Yeah. So one through four are all Hellraiser. Then they come, they pick back up with the last two that they released. They claim are Hellraiser films, everything in between. So the last essentially 20 years of Hellraiser films, they just stuck their hand in a pile of rejected scripts, pulled one out and said, add Cenobites to this. And, uh, that as I mean, if you want, when you watch this movie, you can tell it, barely even in any ways related to Hellraiser. It's just so shoehorned in there. The Cenobites aren't anything like we saw in the other movies. Oh, you mean the lack of Cenobites? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Um, 
I think it'd be interesting if we could get <laughs> Scott Derrickson or, you know, someone who's worked on it to kind of give us an idea of what the movie looked like before they injected all the Hellraiser stuff into it. I yeah. guarantee you it was a man who was a piece of garbage and then was in his own personal hell. And then he basically had to unsolve. I guarantee you the engineer was never meant to be Pinhead. No, I guarantee I, the engineer was always going to be some benevolent, like, demon force, but it was never meant to be Pinhead. I don't doubt that the demons, the little, like, um, shattery, yeah. yeah, the flat face demons were actually legitimately already designed, and they just added Pinhead in there. Yeah, I don't, I think the movie is exactly the same, except anywhere where you saw a bit of Hellraiser, just replaced it with generic demon. All the, all the snow stuff in the house, I guarantee that was added. Because if you notice, the, the look is completely different whenever he's in the snow hallways. Because he's in those hallways and it's normal, but then he's in the snow hallway. And that's when he interacts with Pinhead or the spinning obelisk thing that... Yeah, well, they didn't film the movie. They, it was from, they changed it at the script level. So they didn't film the original movie and then film oh, no, I'm more scenes. Like, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I guarantee you that's kind of like those scenes were added. You know, those are the ones I feel like were added probably. Yeah, like shoved into the script, so... Well, no, as we said, no ratings on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, but it does have a 35% with the audience out of 21,731 reviews. Dude, um, that's 30% higher than I thought it would be. <laughs> maybe that's, um, <clears throat> this was direct to video, you said. Yeah. Yes. Does Rotten Tomatoes not do direct to video? Do they not do ratings on that? Like no, critic seen, ratings? Because they, well, they said there's only two, how, when we looked, there's only two Hellraisers that didn't have rating. And I mean, all of them, I've the last like 10 video. have been direct to video. Okay. Okay. My bad. My bad. Well, if you don't know what a Cenobite is, John, you want to tell people at home what a Cenobite is and what kind of the general idea behind Hellraiser is? It's not a spicy Cinnabon. No, that would have been cool, though. <laughs> um, would it have been? Sure. Imagine this movie, everywhere there's a Cenobite, you replace it with a Cinnabon with arms. <laughs> Fuck, terrifying. I love it. Um, well, it kind of evolves, and this movie actually marks a really big departure for the Cenobites. Um, originally, Cenobites are this creature from another dimension. They're specifically not from hell. They're not really demons. They're just in an alternate dimension where they have just got so much pleasure now that they have gone past what we can consider normal pleasure into like pain and suffering and tearing people apart with chains. And they find that super pleasurable. And they have this box, a lament configuration that opens them. And once you've been summoned, uh, unless you're Christy, you're getting sucked into that box and going into hell dimension. Uh, and punished i guess but you're not really punished because they think they're doing you a favor they always are like oh we're gonna bring you so much pleasure like uh you're gonna be into it yeah you're gonna love it i think they kind of just more say it's an experience less yeah. pleasure just like you're gonna have an experience but they kind of like dig it yeah and they don't really see it as punishment uh, except in this movie where suddenly they are demons and they believe in morality and they are here to punish you for opening the box and for being an asshole uh i, I didn't get that but yeah he says that at the end i mean if you really want to spoil it at the end i mean if you've seen any Hellraiser movie, duh. Pinhead comes, sucks this guy into. Okay, hold on. Pinhead comes, and sucks this guy. <laughs> yeah, go on. Uh, yeah, I'm in for this I porn parody. Uh... The box. You opened it. We came. <laughs> you know, into his dimension, um, and he's like, you know, this is for all of the the lives that you've ruined and all your your 
deepest, darkest desires in this movie. Yes. In this movie yeah, yes. specifically in this movie. And then your, going your forward, your four moral choices are now basically coming back on you because of right. the things you've done. Uh, so this movie marks a very big change for Hellraiser as a franchise into a more morality trick tale than it used to be. Because people um, had to seek out the Cenobites in the earlier films, like one, two, and three. You had to like seek out this like box. Yeah, this not so much even the box, just this like I mean the box was the, the gateway to it, but it was more this kind of like beyond your norms beyond like the the norms of like world earthly pleasure you know you had to like want to go further you had to want to like expand your horizons however yeah but the and people that usually was like the gateway the the box was the gateway you know yeah you know. but people didn't know about cenobites they knew I want more. This box gives me more. So the the human characters are searching like for the Apple box. TV. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in in the other four. Well, four is actually really weird, where the the whole building becomes the box. Uh, it's bonkers. Four it's is crazy. Uh, yes, it, uh, but uh, they're searching for this box to get more pleasure. If you, especially if you really look at the first movie and the novella, that's the gist of it. That was a very roundabout way of describing. The Cenobites, and I liked it. Thank you. I mean, well, it's hard to describe them. I mean, in the most generic sense, they are demons that fuck you up. Well, well they became demons, because at yes. first they were just like nomadic, you know, limbo-esque. Right. Like, That's why it took so long to describe yeah. them, because it oh, was it's super complicated. Pre this movie, post this movie, there's a whole comic universe, there's the three, novellas. Three is where they kind of became like uh, uh, oriented with hell. Yeah, I think three is the first time they actually say like they're but I don't from because they go into a church in three, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't give a fuck about any of this." Yeah, but it, uh, I don't think they were demons until this movie. This is also really? the first movie they use the word lament configuration. Oh, before really? They always really? just called it puzzle box. Yeah, so there's a lot of firsts uh, in this really crappy movie. You know, I wonder what a, an actual Hellraiser movie would look like if they dedicated real resources to it. You know, to write an actual script instead of re, you know probably look like four <laughs> that. four hat definitely had a budget i mean it took place in the past in the future in the present in Whoa. space yeah i need to so, watch this one finally it's it's all, it has adam it. scott yeah i'm gonna say it stars at it well it, it has adam scott yeah. i think it stars adam scott <laughs> any any movie he's in is starring adam scott <laughs> so this one kicks off with some dudes playing chess in a gymnasium it's to show how smart our protagonist is which really doesn't come into play ever again because this whole movie he's led around by his nose and he never figures out a damn thing the movie is always four steps ahead of our main detective it does come at the very end pinhead says it's like a game of chess where the pawn or the pieces all seem to move randomly but they're moving toward the king and i was like pinhead that is not how chess works if you're moving your pieces around randomly you're doing a real shit job yo pinhead here's a copy of battle chess go ahead and play this for a while and then see if you still feel the same start on very easy because uh, you're gonna need some help <laughs> i wonder how much of the the visual and um choices like that were the directors versus the scripts because if you notice a lot of characters that show up in this movie are dressed in black and white like a chess piece you know like there's a lot of like situations where you have black and white playing like duality yeah. options with the story itself i mean at the end of the day it's always the director like he's yeah. or she they are the the creative vision so i will give i will give uh if it was if it was a director that i will give scott derrickson a lot of credit because it was a lot of like real good visual subtleties in this movie that if you like are paying attention some of them are pretty blatant but if you're paying <laughs> attention some of them are like like oh that's kind of subtle that's kind of cool I don't think this movie is bad. I agree. And I don't think it was good 
either. I think it was just kind of boring. It was very slow. It was slow. I think it was an okay movie. It was a very bad Hellraiser movie. Uh, it was a good attempt at a psychological horror that just didn't quite hit what it needed to hit. If I had seen this movies in the late 90s, this movies, this movie in the late 90s, and it did have nothing to do with Hellraiser, I probably would have dug it. I it, think I would have like, like, yo, you guys got to see this. This is crazy as shit. That's a good point. It is a product of its time. They were doing a lot of that shit back then with like this whole, this whole plot was very generic by then. This whole neo-noir like thing was very in. You look at your Dark Cities, your Matrix, yeah. all of that kind of shit. And it had perforated or no, proliferated throughout all the other, you know, genres of film. So it's definitely a very 2000s movie. And it's your your broken detective who plays on both sides of the law. Right. You know, um, so speaking of which, let's talk about Detective Thorne for a little bit. What did you think of this character? Fine, upstanding citizen. Oh, is he? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> they did everything in their power to make this guy a piece of trash yeah. out the gate. And you, never stop. It was, they just beat you over the head too much with how much of a piece of shit this guy was. You're supposed to at least root for the character a little bit, but I never was like, all right, I get where you're, he's like, at one point he's like, yeah, you're right. I do go fuck prostitutes, but as long as my wife doesn't know, hey, hey. No, it's a voiceover. Oh yeah. He, he there's, there's voiceover. He, and God, his voiceover was terrible. It's noir. He tried to be a very Neo, like. It sounded like he was like having, like he was practice reading it and they just recorded him. <laughs> he's doing his best sergeant Friday from Dragnet. Yeah, you know, any of that. It's like, not great. But yeah, you're right. He, he's justifying to the audience like, yeah, I fuck prostitutes, but I still love my family. Yeah. So I'm not a piece of shit. He's like, the things I want to do with prostitutes, you know, if I don't do it with my wife and I come home to her, it keeps her happy. And then what she doesn't know makes a happy marriage. And it's like, bro, <laughs> like you, you can call it what you want, but you're still going to be garbage in this movie. Yeah. You know, the, the voiceover should have been like... Of all the offices and all the buildings in this town, Pinhead walked in the mine. <laughs> <laughs> then I would have been like, sign me up. Uh, A Pinhead yeah. detective agency? I'm in. Yeah. After the chess game, he goes into the the police officer locker room because I thought they were in a high school or something like that. And then it's like, oh, this is the police station. He's getting dressed, has a vial of Coke, does a big old fucking sniff before he goes out, puts his gun in, and then immediately... Like that, I think he goes home to the pro, his wife, and then he goes out to the prostitutes. Yeah, I'm pretty amazed. I feel like nobody who was in this film ever saw people on cocaine because he does do that giant fucking hit of cocaine, but then he's still like he's fucking uh, taking opium, right? He's just mumbling and just slowly moving his way through every scene that he's in. His energy level pre and post coke very very low. He goes from like a zero to a point five. I feel like his entire energy through this movie, except when he yells really loud at the camera was low. Yeah, which does not strike me as cokehead energy. This guy had the weirdest like contemplative face too like you could tell he's like trying to like think things out and he's like trying to look like hard and just kind of like yeah i'm working this through in my brain but it looked like he was like he always had this expression that looked like like he he couldn't tell if he wanted to brag about a fart he just ripped yeah like i was he, I mean, he just he just had the weirdest kind of like like he wanted to say something but he never did and i'm like what are you doing here he's like did i just shit my pants <laughs> this whole movie that's what he's wondering <laughs> the direction was look pensive and inquisitive you know and that's what his whole character and right? he's like 
like, got it, constipated, on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is, though, is like, don't get me wrong, he was a pretty good detective. He acted pretty good to be a detective, but, I mean... Was he? Because I think he was actually really shitty at his job. Well, I'm not saying he was good at his job. I'm saying, like, the, saying his the acting. Actor. Oh, yeah. The actor actually nailed, like hard detective i was like okay i buy this like yeah. you sold me on hard detective now your facial expressions also fill me with this this urge to go what are you thinking right now like, <laughs> i told you what he was thinking <laughs> but um i think he did a decent job i just he just had really weird expressions at really weird times maybe that's the coke it's the frowny coke that's the one i've been sniffing <laughs> so detective thorne has a partner named detective nino nin to play by john uh almost said John Turturro. Nicholas Turturro. Imagine if John Turturro was in this movie. Oh, God. It would be excellent. I'm <laughs> sure it would really not ratchet that up. So they go out to a scene of a crime, and there's, like, all these candles lit up, and, like, you find that one of the lament configurations has a melted candle over it. No, it, it, the, the reason they notice it is because the candle didn't melt, and it should have melted, oh. and the candle was completely, none of the wax was melting. They don't bother to explain that at all, by the way. I mean, we find out later, but no one else in the movie thinks it's weird. They're just like, oh, hey, there's a finger in there. And the movie moves on. There's a finger inside the candle. The right? unmelting, the wax. Yes, yes, the unmeltable wax candle that's on top of the lament configuration. And Detective Thorne finds a vial of drugs and immediately pockets that shit for later. He does. <laughs> well, and Thorne knows this guy. Thorne is like, uh, what's the guy's name? I wrote it down because they say his name like a million times. J. Cho? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. They say J. Cho like so many times. I was like, okay, we get it. I was There's like, a whole story about J. Cho where he was bullied by these guys in high school. He's like, we used to kick his ass. He was a piece of shit. Not surprised he's in pieces on the ground now. It was so weird. We didn't like our detective enough he was like look on top of that on top of being a cokehead thief also i was a bully in high school and i bullied the fuck out of this dead guy <laughs> it was like okay just keep that story to yourself bro even his partner was like why are you telling me this information <laughs> i wonder if they were worried about it testing weird to the point where people were gonna like oh no nothing bad can happen to this character we like him and like they were just like no we gotta make sure no one likes this guy well they also made him a borderline kleptomaniac because within five minutes he steals the drugs he steals money from a dead guy's wallet and he steals the lament configuration did you guys notice though when he stole the drugs he does like magic hands where he like yep. puts them together and he like disappears is he a magician i don't know is he like a <laughs> wizard is he uh is a sorcerer supreme maybe was this the 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 seed that was planted in scott derrickson's head that was like i'm gonna do fucking dr strange maybe i can tell you one thing if anybody got bullied in high school it was this motherfucker <laughs> and his magic tricks why would he even do a magic trick right then when nobody was watching him? Well, he did. Yeah, he when he stole, he was like magic. Sometimes and he you just want to it. impress yourself. Okay. He did this multiple times in the movie. He would like make things appear and disappear with sleight of hand. And I'm like, what does this serve other than to amuse yourself? I wonder well, if that was an actor choice. Yes, it was definitely <laughs> Craig Shefford just learned it before they started filming. He's like, I'm going to incorporate this into my character. That's it. My man's wow. a magi- an amateur magician. He oh, in Craig's mind, I already got the backstory. This guy wanted to be a magician. Went to magician school. Flunked out because he couldn't get the scarf trick down Mm -hmm. so he became a cop and he's so angry at not being able to be a magician he's a piss poor cop who picks on his partner picks on dead people and steals anything that's not nailed down 
there's some definite fleshing out that would make this character way more interesting. And then you just went down that road. Yeah, you know, oh, hire man. me, guys. I'm here for script punch-ups. If you need a magician in your film, I'll work it out. So, yes, you're right. He steals a lament configuration. He steals the drugs. He says goodbye to his wife. He's the worst absentee cop dad. You know, yes. we see this a lot in these movies like Maniac Cop, for instance, right? Bruce Campbell yep. couldn't stay with his wife. He's going to having affairs and everything so, you know well-tread territory is what i'm trying to say so he goes to some shady motel and he's hooking up with this prostitute they do drugs the drugs he stole with well, and me, he paid her with the money he stole let yeah. me let me point out though when he goes home to see his wife before he like goes out to hang out with the prostitute um hang out fuck whatever you want to call you know um, play chess you know, <laughs> yeah that's it big puzzle there's, there's a couple of scenes where he where there's a scene where he goes home and it, even though he is absent from his like family's life he is caring they did with this big thing to show us like he walks in and he like kisses his daughter's head like what like kind of like sleeping she's like he's kind of like you get this moment and then he goes and like his wife wakes up and she's like hey and he's like hi you know like you get the feeling that he's a caring family man but outside of that garbage town that's it's because i think they were trying to make us think he cared about his family because later on when the stuff happens to his family i think that was supposed to be like a big gut-wrenching thing for him but it's I, all surface level with no action yeah, like that's he's, true he's it's not true. he's not backing up his caring for his family you can't be a caring family man if your stop home is a pit stop between doing felonies and fucking a prostitute you know he just went in to get some underwear in and the words of guile from street fighter go home and be a family man yeah he did not do that no that was literally it's his beard for his morality <laughs> yes look at me i'm moral <laughs> like whatever so while after he's done with his business with the prostitute he's sitting on the floor of the bathroom and once again we see that the lament configuration is the easiest <laughs> puzzle box to solve. It's almost insulting the real puzzles to call this a puzzle box. God, like, I wish I could remember your line from the the, the Hellraiser episode where you're like, you just finger a little bit and you're damned. That's like it, that. yeah. I, can't remember what I don't remember, yeah. But well, it's so frustrating because movie two, like our doctor tentacle head guy, I forget his name yeah. anyway, um, he has three of them and can't solve them and they needed that character the puzzle <laughs> that's true <laughs> he had all of them he couldn't open them <laughs> yeah but old old blondie master puzzle wizard could do it in two seconds he's but just smashing on the ground like why yeah. won't you work for me it's just it's just a weird uh, continuity problem that Maybe. just makes me upset alright here's some Hellraiser headcanon are you ready? Ready for this? Mm -hmm. Da na na Um <laughs> <laughs> Can we please cut some like crazy music in there real quick? Oh, uh, you want to have a headcanon theme song? Is that what uh, we're doing? Yeah, that's what it is going forward. <laughs> whenever John has a headcanon, we have an intro. <laughs> uh, it's got to be like something weird, eerie, like uh, unsolved mystery type shit. Cannon, are you ready? Here I'm we go. Ready. Maybe you can't open the lament configuration unless they want you to open the lament configuration. Boo. You have to be in a certain state of mind, and once you're in that state of mind, all you got to do is like look at it, and it opens. So you're saying that you can't want to open it; your body has to be ready to open it. Exactly. Yeah, something like so that. So biometrics. Yeah, or maybe that's it. You know, he didn't get; he wasn't getting his full thumb <laughs> on the sensor. So, and we. 
are introduced to a pair of new Cenobites, right? They've never been in any ones before this? I'm hesitant to call these characters Cenobites because they had no Cenobite quality to them. They had leather. Yeah. Black, shiny vinyl leather. I mean, until this movie is knocked out of canon, which can't happen soon enough, these are Cenobites per okay, okay. Hellraiser quote-unquote canon for what it's worth. Well, why don't one of you describe our pair of new introduced character Cenobites. Uh, I don't even remember. Okay. These are the ones with no right. legs that are crawling. No, 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 no. Oh. That's the second one that okay. shows up. So, allow me. Let me get a little closer to the mic here. Yeah. <clears throat> get some, Put on some sexy saxophone. I was about to say, this movie had a lot of sax in it. I was like, I was like, ooh. Can never slow, have too much. Slow, sexy sax, a staple of the Hellraiser franchise. I love a good saxophone song, so more please. As the Hell Priest, the saxophone is the evilest of the instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so these two Cenobites, right? Lady Cenobites. Mm-hmm. With smooth faces, oh, yeah. no facial experience, no, no nose, no eyes, just a mouth. All but right, they got chin strings, but they got chin strings. <laughs> All right, they got strings coming out the back of their head. They got strings That's coming right. out the bottom of the chin, and it's connected. So I guess when you tug a little too much, you get a little a little yank. You know, they're clad in leather. They've got open wounds, which are held open by hooks, which oh, are attached yeah. to the leather. Now these two, I'm very uncomfortable these two here. <laughs> sexy, sexy Cenobites. All right, Barry Levon. Yeah, what do you got there? Two hundred and forty dollars worth of pudding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they start making out, and you're like, "Ooh, la la, what's going on here?" You were like that. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome home, ladies. No, um, <laughs> basically, it's just like it's like you're. Very, um, no facial features. They've got like strings and hooks in their face. And it's like the standard um, Cenobite outfit. Um, it's like a, a, a leather vinyl bikini one piece. Right? Yeah, yeah, With, yeah. Like, some boots. But there's some openings right. and like they have like open like cuts which are held open. You know, very, if you've seen any Cenobite, you've seen it. Just Google Cenobites and you'll get an idea of what their, their body outfits. They were like if you went to Spirit Halloween and bought a... Cenobite costume for not the like licensed one but the knockoff one so it was like Cenobite <laughs> uh, and you put that on and then you were like it's a c- beat with a bunch of hooks in it <laughs> no it would be more generic right it would be like sexy demon queen yeah good point good point so that's it these are the sexy demon queen costume from spirit Halloween uh, in the year 2000 I'm gonna actually defend even though I did not feel like most of these creatures were Cenobites in the standard sense, some of them had very some Cenobite-like qualities to them, but they looked like they were designed to be something else from another movie. They looked really creepy. The the two twins, the Cenobite twins, the ladies that we just talked about, <laughs> looked very awesome. And then I is couldn't this even the scene where he goes that. down the hallway and sees the second one, the torso Cenobite? Well, yeah, so that was going to say the other ones that we seem to see, and this is going to be it, other than when we finally see Pinhead towards the end, yeah. is that we get a only torso so of like a chatterbox yeah a very skinny chatterbox yeah. ruin that whole centibite we already know what chatterbox looks like i was like i was like oh he went on atkins and then he cut off his bottom torso <laughs> cool and then there's going to be random guys who are also faceless with just the teeth which are like people but possessed by chatterbox i, I don't know it's a little strange it didn't quite make sense there's the one who burns the fingerprint off too so and that's i like him they all have they all have a very white um left in water for like way too long after you've been dead like skin tone with no facial features um, except for a mouth and the the random guy Cenobites um, have really long black tongues. Yeah. Actually, the girls have them too. Yeah, they've all and both they have burn. Them. They're like, like if you touch them to something, it burns whatever it is. It's very weird, especially coming I from... I thought they looked cool. I thought, I was like, okay, right on. But I didn't know they were Cenobites at first. I was like, oh, these must be like a new demon 
class. Like, yeah, yeah like kind of like sub Cenobites. DJ Cenobiter bust. I want to <laughs> see shoot me with some CDs, damn it. <laughs> yeah, where's his next iteration? We're ready for it. Oh, what would he be? Like SD cards? <laughs> Flash drives and shut like, you know, USB sticks. No, way, he just stands there. He's like, it's on the cloud, baby. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing they didn't have laser discs because imagine laser discs Cenobite. Those would be fucking getting killed by Frisbees. He looks like a wheeler from fucking Return to Oz. <laughs> so Detective Thorne is like whisked into some blue child's bedroom, right? He's looking around at these things like, is this my bedroom kind of thing? And that's when we see these uh, two Cenobite women and they come up and they just like stick their hands under his skin, start yeah. rubbing his ribs. Whoa, 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 weird. whoa, whoa. You mean hot. Okay. <laughs> he seemed to be okay with it. They're, they're rubbing on his chest, and then they slide their sharp fingernails underneath the skin, and they're rubbing his muscles, and you can see the skin mm. over it. And they're like, now don't get me wrong, it was very like uncomfortable. It's like, yeah. oh, that's got to hurt so bad. But he's into it. He's ready for Cenobite land. Like, he's like, yo, tweak my nipples on the inside, girl. Like, <laughs> he's getting down with it. And there doesn't seem to be any lasting damage. When they're no. done, you know, his skin comes back to normal and he's fine. He is down to clown, as they would say. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you... Oh, man. Hi, this is Detective Thorne and I'm down to clown. <laughs> I would love to hear him say... I'm sure Chris Schaefer is on... Uh, what the fuck's that website? Craig Schaefer. Craig- <laughs> <laughs> Not Chris Schaefer. <laughs> Good try, though. <laughs> uh, Craig Sheffer has got to be on Cameo. Maybe I could pay him $5 to say that he's down the clown. Do it, man. I'll, I'll chip in for that. <laughs> 250 right here. Did you guys notice how weirdly shot that sex scene was when he's like fucking that prostitute? Oh, it's a lot of white light. Like it looked like an alien abduction video. It's like so washed out and white light. Oh, you know what? That was the missing scene you needed from the fourth kind. There oh, there. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't need anything else from the fourth kind. After he's done having his muscles massaged by our latex demon ladies, he wakes up in the bathroom of the hotel. The prostitute's still asleep, and he's like, oh, "I'm just going to get out of here. I'm late for work or something." He shows up to work. He talks to his partner a little bit about the palindrome nonsense, and then the phone rings, and it's the prostitute saying, hey, uh, it's me, Stephanie, or whatever her name was. Like, you know, you fucked me last night? And he's like, what Daphne. are you doing? It's Daphne. Oh, my. How could you, don't, you don't forget prostitute names. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> just kidding. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm shaking so, my head at you. You can't see the audience, but I am. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, he's like, what are you doing? What are you calling me? She's like, oh, and she, she just proceeds to have one of the most unsettling gurgly deaths I've ever heard on a phone call. It was pretty good. She's like, I'm still here. The prostitute from last night, they're here. They're getting me. And then like, you know, like Bobcat Goldway screaming for dear life. It wasn't that comedic. Yes, it was something. (laughs) It was actually disturbing. Yes. Uh, Last shift could learn from this phone call. Ooh. Yeah. Well played. And so he's freaked out, though, because he never gave this chick his number. She doesn't know that he's a cop, I don't think. I don't know if there was a, a, a past with these two before or not. Like, if he was I a regular. I think so. I feel like it was like this was just a random. Yeah, because he drives and picks her up off the street, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, so this is just a rando. Uh, street walking from our Chopping Mall episode. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. We're just calling back like crazy this <laughs> we episode. We just want to talk about know? any movie that's not Hellraiser and for This is deep cuts for the true fans. <laughs> so he rushes back over there and he finds her strung up in the shower, right? Hung yes. and with her throat slit yeah it's pretty gross correct so now he's now, did we out. see it because we don't see it until no, nino nin walks in yes. right okay yeah 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 yeah. so after he finds her body i he goes and talks to his partner he's like dude i need your help he calls him and says get here 
here. Yeah. He's like, I have a problem, and now I'm going to make it your problem. <laughs> Essentially, the phone call. So Detective Neenan shows up, and he's like, how did you know about these? He's like, dude, I was fucking, I was here last night, dude, and I banged her, and but she was totally alive. I swear <laughs> to God, when I left this morning. Like, that's I mean, what they all say. I like fucked the shit out of her, but not to death, dude. You gotta believe me. How would I even get her up there? Yeah, dude. Uh, and Nina's like, yeah, all right, that's probably true. Uh, and so he's like, all right, what we need to do is clean this whole fucking shit up, right? And th- th- his partner is like, I don't know, man, that sounds kind of fucking weird. Well, his partner goes, no, because you know me, I'm a straight cop. I play things by the book. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know. Like a real family man, he goes, dude, I got kids. Yes, well, because uh, uh, Thorne goes, I've got kids and a wife. I got a kid and a wife. What would this do? And he's like, I've got a kid and wife, you know, like, yeah. I'm not going to fucking, like, get involved in this. And then he, like, says, like, he, he says one thing he that basically guilts him kills into him it, into yeah. it. So they're before wiping they head off back the prints off of, you know, they're clearing his prints, yeah. Detective Thorne's prints and everything. And then just to like really cement how much of a piece of shit this dude, Doc, uh, Dr. Thorne, <laughs> Detective Thorne is, he grabs items from his partner and plants them in this crime scene. Yeah, they're having a discussion before they go back in to clean it up. They're having a discussion in Ninonen's um, car, his um, police car, and he swipes Ninonen's pen and cigarettes. And as they're cleaning up, hides them in the room to frame Ninonen for the murder of this prostitute. It's not so much frame. It's more of insurance, right? He's like, I planted these there because you're the one that fucked the prostitute, bro. Right. But don't worry. As long as you keep helping me out, I'll vouch for you and nobody's going to get in trouble. Yeah, his, so it was like a plan uh, for him. Yeah, I thought he was going to frame him. No, because like. Nino then later has a crisis of conscience, right? And is like, dude, this is fucked up. Let's tell the chief. We'll work this out. And he's like, hey, where's your pen? He's like, why the fuck do you want to talk about my pen right now? And he's like, here's why. It's at the crime scene. Nino's like, you're a fucking dick. And he's like, don't worry. Well, here's what will happen. I'll I tell the chief. couldn't believe that, honestly. I know. Like, it, it shocked me when he grabbed that stuff. I was like, oh, I thought he was going to go inside and kill Nino and for, like, seeing it. Because he's a kleptomaniac. Yeah, but he does magic hands to pick up the <laughs> stuff, too, though. Well, yeah. When he took those items out of the car, I assumed that he had swiped those the night before, and they were the prostitute's items, oh. and he was putting them back in place. But yeah, ultimately, it's just a way for him to ensure that his partner won't rat him. Right, because he goes, look, I'll just tell the chief that you'd never seen a dead body before and you acted like a bitch and left your stuff there. (laughs) (laughs) Basically what he says, yeah. As they're cleaning up, he finds another kid's finger. And the thing is, they're not rigor mortis fingers. They're like fresh. And he's like, what the fuck? He doesn't say anything to Ninonen about the, uh, the finger, though. But he's now found two little kid fingers at different crime scenes so then is this where he goes to the finger place the fingerprint guy and he's like hey did you find anything about the fingerprint the guy's like dude we're doing our best and he's like step aside i did like this scene a lot because behind the guy doing the fingerprint search was just wall-to-wall card catalogs it's like (laughs) that really dates your movie right (laughs) well he was like oh yeah we're going through fifty thousand fingerprints a second and i was like i bet by now we're going through like five million a second detective thorn being the puzzle solver that he is he's like you know what change the parameters put this and this and this search for people with piercings and tattoos and then bing 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 there it is like three seconds finds it (laughs) it's like how'd you do that you mathematician and that's the thing is like the the forensic guy was all like that's why you're the best or something like that and i was like oh boy yeah i was like jesus so we're tipped off it's now uh our purpose some tattoo artist right right he's heading over to a tattoo parlor 
He's where he learns about the engineer. I don't remember. I know he beats the shit out of the tattoo guy right away because he's a dick. And he's like, hey, tell me about, you know, the engineer. Tell me about this box. And the guy's like, am I under arrest? And like a real cop, he just fucking punches him in the head. He's like, are either arrest, are you going to frisk me or fuck me is well, what he says. Because he sees the tattoo on the back and that's why he puts him against the wall. Oh, that's right. So he, he goes and asks this tattoo guy, you know, like, you know, like, hey, what's up with this? Who's the engineer? And he's like, I'm not telling you shit. And he's like, do you really think the guy who gave you this box wants to find out that you lost it? And he's like, it doesn't matter. And then he goes to get up and leave. And he's like, well, that's fine. I'll find out from somebody else. You're not the only person that can interrogate. And he's about to leave. He sees the tattoo artist's back. And on the back of the tattoo artist is the two sexy Cenobites, <laughs> the sexy Cenobite ladies, like, on there like tattooed like making yeah. out with each other and then the tattoo starts moving and they start like caressing each other and he immediately grabs the dude throws him against the wall and he's like what the fuck he says something that basically sends him to uh, an old informant that he has which is a um, pedophile coke yeah. dealing ice cream man his name is Bernie <laughs> character's Bernie. name is Bernie but I want to just stop and just kind of talk about what the engineer is exactly right so it's that whole like shadowy crime boss that lives in the darkness of the city right he's in charge of stuff. yeah real vindictive guy if you don't give him what's his he'll come after you and get you and through his detection or you know his, his investigation i think he at some point he was trying to find out more about the prostitute and that's what kind of led him down the path of finding out what the engineer is and everybody's kind of afraid of this character terrified because they tell the story about someone fell in love with one of the engineer's prostitutes and wanted to marry this prostitute and there's a whole flashback to it too yeah. Yeah. bernie bernie tells him this so <clears throat> and uh they kidnap him they kidnap the prostitute right and the husband's looking and looking and looking and eventually the he comes home one day and he sees the prostitute in bed and he pulls the sheet back and she's not there it's just like a husk or whatever it's, it's just her head. head yeah, yeah and there's like, a note that says i kept the part i needed you can, can have, have the, the rest. rest right so we're really giving this engineer some nasty backstory so bernie the coke dealer he's a weasley nasty little man who big time does he's a pedophile his, too yeah. he's a pedophile ice cream man who's gross drugs out of an ice cream truck and he's like he's done he's detective thorne's informant into the the crime world if you will he treats him like shit also like for a guy that you need to be on your side to give you information dump regularly he beats the shit out of him <laughs> like is this a daily occurrence when he shows up well yeah because he's like oh you have a lot of birthdays so i think he comes over there and beats the shit out of him like every day and well, demands he's like, free drugs well yeah he's like it's my birthday where's my birthday yeah. present he's like you have a lot of birthdays and he gives him a big old bag of coke and it's like okay this is where he gets his free drugs from when he's not stealing it from crime scenes <laughs> and then like like, he's like, what do you know about the engineer? And then Bernie's like, oh, shit, I'm not telling you nothing. And he takes him in the car, starts beating the shit out of him. And that's when Bernie tells him the backstory about, like, right. who the engineer, the engineer, the, the Kaiser Soje moment of, um, you know, all I heard about this guy is. And then, but inside that ice cream truck, there is, like, wall-to-wall cut-out porn pictures yeah. plastered all over the inside. And it's like, someone's going to notice your porn collection inside an ice you cream would think, truck, dude. Uh, but when Th when Bernie tells Thorne the story, Thorne's like, do you actually believe that bullshit? He's like, totally not into it right now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's like, that is insanity. Stop talking nonsense. Tell me about the engineer. Uh, and then he proceeds to continue to beat the shit out of him. Well, he gets his tips, his information, yeah. and then he's... Uh, 
Because doesn't he get an address? Yeah, he goes to to an address, and then somebody hands him a VHS tape. He that's at a bar. He ends up at a bar somehow. Right. Oh, the country, the cowboy bar in yeah. the middle of the woods. Fucking weird ass bar. He's at this bar, uh, and someone's like, "Hey, are you Thorn?" And he's like, "What's it to you?" Here, basically, he gets served. Right, you've been served. <laughs> uh, he hands him this VHS tape, which he then watches at the bar somehow. I don't remember how he it's watches. It's a big, it. giant, bald cowboy who's dressed in like <laughs> full on like cowboy gear he watches it at the bar and he's like he sees his man bernie get killed and they put the finger in the cash register and uh he's in like the, in the video you see bernie like in the ice cream truck like slumped over the um the wheel yeah with his back like because you see like someone getting whipped with like hooks on the end of like a he's, like, cat begging. of nine tails and then you see blood and stuff start falling to the ground and then you like you later find out that bernie had his back like flayed open by this fucking thing yeah and it's the same chains that he saw at the tattoo parlor. Right. This was hanging on the wall. Right. So at the bar, after he's watched this video, he's like, what the fuck? And he goes to talk to the, the bald cowboy guy again, and he's like, Where did, where'd you get this? And then at this point, he sees someone get up across the room, and it's one of the faceless demon Cenobite things with the tongues, and it walks out the bar, and he's like, holy shit, wait, and he chases after it. And surrounding this bar is just the woods, because he runs a little bit in the woods and then falls and falls down a hill and ends up next oh, to a tree, yeah. and they're like, the and then out of the out of the fog at the end of this little like clearing with wow 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 rock music playing <laughs> these two like cowgirls come out dressed in like chaps and everything but one's dressed in white and one's dressed in black and then they proceed to fucking kung fu kick the shit out of him and they beat him up really bad and then the then the like the bald-headed cowboy shows up and he's like if you hunt, and this is a reoccurring thing that's been said, if you hunt for the engineer, the engineer hunts you. Then he wakes up, Nino Nin comes and gets him, and then they're going to go back to the police station and drop off the tape. So at the precinct, he he gives the tape away. Well, it kind of cuts to, they, they're like, dude, your tape's been erased. There's nothing oh, on here. that's right. There's nothing and on And he's like, can you tell if the tape's been erased? He's like, yeah, I mean, I can tell if the tape's been erased, but I can't tell you what's on there. And he's like... Look, here's what's going on. There was a grisly murder on that tape. I saw the whole thing. And they're like, mm, dude, you're really fucking losing it right now. Uh, the tape's blank. Because of the tape being blank, the captain's like, you're going to go see a psychiatrist. Like, you've been kind of kind of on the, right, on the yeah. edge of losing it for a while now. We're concerned. You need to go get some help, dude. So he goes and meets with the, the psychiatrist James Remar. Forget his character's name. Uh, Detective Paul Gregory. And it's like, he's just kind of meet and greet. And you can tell that Thorne does not want to be there. He's like, look, can we do this tomorrow? Like, I don't want to be here right now. I need to go get some rest. He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll see you in the morning. Which doesn't feel like how mandatory psych evaluations work, where he's like, look, fuck you. Can we do this tomorrow? I'm busy. I got to go commit some crime. Things aren't going to steal themselves, okay? (laughs) Come and go as you please. I don't care. Street magic's not going to (laughs) perform itself. I got to get out of here. Exactly. They find Bernie's ice cream truck near a soccer field, and it's exactly how it was described. Right. So it's giving more credence to his partner, Ninonen, to think that Detective Thorne is the killer here. Right. And then Thorne does not help his case at all, because he shows up, and they're like, he's like, did you guys find the finger? He's like, what? No, we can't find a finger. He goes right to the register. Oh, he opens it up. He's like, oh, this finger right here. Are and you every- dumb? Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> like, what? He's like, I saw it on the tape. And everyone's just like... All right, he's definitely the killer now. Yeah. Like, and to be fair, like every time he gets the shit kicked out of him or he wakes up from like fucking a prostitute or something like that, <laughs> like 
he has these like dream sequences where he ends up in like the familiar children's child's room or he ends up down the hallway where it's snowing and like washed out with white light and then he hears a little girl going daddy and it, it sounds like his daughter and he like runs after it and is always confronted by something weird and then wakes up so we've we see that he might be quote unquote losing his mind or it also kind of relates to like maybe he's blacking out and during these moments he's killing these people so yeah the other cops think it's him he goes to his mandated next morning psychiatry appointment and he sits down and is like all right dude you've been here a while what do you know about the engineer I need you to tell me about the engineer. He's like, oh, I don't know anything. He's like, come on, dude. He's like, well, okay. Since you asked nicely, uh, back in 1986, there was a case file and people were talking about there was, you know, there was another police officer talking about the engineer and ultimately he shot himself. Dun, dun, dun. So I've been really curious about this my whole life. I've done all the, the, the information I've researched necessary. So I'm going to dump it to you now. It's like, okay, I'm glad this guy's in the precinct. Here's this folder called exposition. You're going to want this. Yeah. Hands over the file case. And it's just like, dude, he knows about the box. He knows about the Cenobites. And it's like, really? Yeah. How easy is that stuff to find? But he, and Quick this Google is, search. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> this is where we get the first hint of the movie, of the quote unquote twist of this movie, right? Because he's like, well, I, because they're like, every time someone opens this box, Cenobites come and take them away. Thorne's like, well, I opened the box and I don't know, nothing's happened. And the, the, the therapist is like, or they're still here. And then the movie cuts. Yeah. And then you'll find out why that's important later. Yeah. So he goes home and he checks on his wife and kids and, or his kid rather. He yeah. goes home and checks on his wife and kid. Does it even matter? I don't even know. He gets a phone call. He gets that's a phone call. And this is the part where he's th- another great moment of like, what a garbage person. It's like your mother is like in trouble or something at the hospital. Oh, and he, and then he immediately, okay, go ahead. Yeah. So he gets a call his wife. So he goes home. He's fucking around with his family. His wife goes, answers the phone and his wife comes back and is like, that was strange. It's your mom. She said something about an engineer being there. Yeah. Coming to see her. Yeah. Some sort of engineer. And so he rushes off to the hospital. The lady who works there is like, I didn't even know they had a kid. So not only an absentee father, but an absentee son. This guy is really absent from the family life. These people into a fucking hospital. It sounds like against their will where they've like had to be i thought it was like a retirement community. it looked retirement-y that maybe maybe a retirement home but it, it was very hospitally because as he's going down the hallway to see them the lights are flickering of course you know the old flickery hospital lights yeah but i liked this part because it was like is this real is this dreamy because he passes two twin nurses who do yes. some creepy shit and just regular twin nurses and behind him is a guy in a wheelchair who is very reminiscent of like just kind of a torso thing slowly crawling towards him, but it's in a wheelchair. Yeah. But then like as he passes him, he's got like weird Cenobite mouth where he's got like his cheeks are spread apart by like a pole or something like that. It's like a 60 or 70 year old man with his face spread out like with the hooks, kind of like Frank at the end of movie one, right? Yeah. But then he starts laughing like a little kid. Very creepy. I I really like I enjoyed that part. I was like, all right, that's not bad. So then he goes into the room. Why so serious? (laughs) (laughs) You want to know how I got these scars? Um, He then he goes inside the room with his his mom and his dad. His dad is like bedridden. So that's why I thought he put him in the hospital because his dad can't get out of bed. Yeah, I felt like I think he's like comatose or just so old or something. And the mom's sitting there like sewing or knitting. And she's like, how come you never come to see us? He hears like a scream, pulls out his gun. She's like, put that away. And then he's looking out the door, looking and sneaking around. And then I don't remember how, but he just wakes up back in his bed again. 
That's right. And, and then, then the whole thing replays where his wife's like, hey, I just got a call from your mom. And this is the time where he rushes yeah, through. He guns blazing, drives like 80 miles an hour, runs in. Instead of saying, I'm here to see my parents, runs past the like front desk lady with his gun out. And then the, the lady desk goes like, hey, to the security guard, that guy just had a gun. And the security guard looks up and goes, oh, OK. And like they chase him down the hallway. And they're like, hey, drop it. And then he's like, I'm a cop. He complies, but he's like, I'm a cop. I have to see my parents. And they're like, okay. And then he goes in the room. And at this point, like his parents are like Missing. not there. Yeah. yeah. There's just the bed and there's a, a, a present, a box, like a wrapped present. Yeah. The lady, the nurse is like, yeah, we've been expecting you because your parents are gone. And that's really weird. They've been you're gone dude, since dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your dad can't walk. Uh, so yeah. Then he opens the present, right? Isn't it just blood? It's two fingers, two fingers. And, oh, okay. and a card that says it's like an address to someplace Hathaway lane or something yeah it's something like halfway lane but then he touches the bed that's where the blood and is. then like it's white sheets and as he puts pressure down they turn red from his handprint so like he lifts it up and on the bed is like this like hellraiser two um pool of blood on the mattress like level gore and like it's underneath the white sheets and then you realize that his parents like something bad's happened right so then he goes to leave but then he hears screaming behind a door and i really like this scene because it's like this terrible like gurgly murdery sound but he doesn't open the door for whatever reason and then blood just sort of comes from underneath the the gap between you know the door and the floor because he's attacked by what look like demon versions like gutted eyes of his parents and then the door closes on him and then his mom gets killed behind the door and the blood runs out yeah, to his feet happens. and he's like what the fuck and then like he then he decides okay i gotta go to one, two, three, Hathaway Lane. Yeah. You know, a lot of this movie at this point, you don't know what's dream or what's not. And then they're going to repeat a lot of scenes to yeah. going forward just to kind of add to the like, what is real, what isn't kind of vibe they're trying for at this point. Legitimately hard to keep straight, but it really, it doesn't, I think it and flows it's doing that okay. for a reason. It's yeah. doing that specifically to make you question what you're seeing, what is reality versus. Yeah. And it flows well in the movie. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so he goes to this place and he busts in and he sees a, like a telescope or binoculars or yeah, whatever. Telescope. Yeah. And again, if you have a telescope, you're a creep. That's right. And so <laughs> he creepily looks in the telescope and he sees Ninonin trapped to a chair yeah. and he gets stabbed from behind. He gets stabbed uh, in the back a bunch. Hint, hint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he has to watch it from a distance where some, it's a dude in slacks and a black, you know, coat stabbing Ninonin in the back, but you don't see this thing's face. You don't see who it is that's stabbing Neenon in the back. Right. So he watches Neenon get killed from a distance. And at this point, he loses his shit. And is this where he goes back? He goes back to the... Yeah, he does go home and he's like, look, he's like panicked. He gets a gun down from the closet. He's like, remember how to use this? Don't fucking go anywhere. Keep all the windows closed. Do not open the door. I'm out. He goes over to the therapist and he's like, doc, I think I'm going crazy. The therapist is like, yeah, crazy people don't think they're going crazy. What's up? They have some boring conversation that's irrelevant. Then he goes home, and that's where the family's yeah. missing. And that's when we get the scene where the the snowy hallway scene, which is reminiscent from his dreams earlier, is actually happening in his house. He hears the kids like, you know, like, Daddy, are you home? He goes in a room, and you see that, like, obelisk thing from Hellraiser 3 
um, spinning around and his wife and kid are stuck to it and it's like freezing in this room. Yeah. And then he goes and touches his daughter's hand like I'm going to get you down pulls it but it breaks off as it's like frozen and then they both start crumbling and he's like what the fuck? The therapist is such a dick in this scene. The therapist is there too Because at this point yeah the therapist from the police station walks in and is like oh come on now you know what the hell is going on. He goes you know how long it takes to die from exposure? Hours. And they were crying for help and nobody was there to help them. Where were you? That's right. He yeah. does like just salt in the just wound. Just that turn shit. that knife, man. He's like, you could have saved him at any time, but you were gone. And this is where he morphs into Pinhead. Right. Finally reveals, I've been Pinhead the whole well, time. He doesn't morph. He pulls the skin off like he's wearing like a like a James Remar suit, <laughs> body suit made out of latex, just peels it off and it's Pinhead. And he's like, ha 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 ha. got where, away with it too if it wasn't for those damn kids. This is where my notes say, whoa, none of... D D H D D M M M M M M M M M space enter 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 because I fell asleep on my phone. But the movie actually picks up here. I know you made it this far. I had to wake up and rewind it. I was like, oh man, I fell asleep. What did I miss? This was like also like 17 minutes left in the movie. Yeah, there's still so much left, and it's just like okay. So he goes. He ends up back in time where he's like a kid, and his mom's making brownies. He sees his dad sleeping because it's the now it's like the Vietnam War era, and his mom's like save some brownies for daddy and he takes the brownies away then everything suddenly ages right and this is actually him this is actually detective thorne as a kid right yeah and then he grows up and his parents are there and there are monsters you say say age but but what happens is like if everything just started rotting like fair time is passed to the point where like fresh fruit is now rotted vegetables or whatever so yes so So time fast forwards essentially what it is and i can boil this down in two sentences real quick let's do it all the dreams and everything he's been seeing little pieces of like his childhood and then like things that like have like been dreams that he's seen so far are now playing out he's a child he's watching these things go out and as you guys said time starts moving in a way such as like everything's decaying and this is actually very reminiscent of his innocence and his happy memories and stuff like that decaying so anyway rinse and repeat you see a couple things play out where like these good memories of these certain things are becoming corrupted in some way and the yeah. Cenobites are showing up and pinheads like popping in and kind of like ah you figured it out yet right, you know what's the, going on everyone who's died in the movie makes another last minute cameo to be like ah fuck you Detective Thorne <laughs> you get, they all get shotgunned it <laughs> yeah, becomes exactly. doom for the last 10 minutes or so he yeah. shotguns his mom his dad his, his partner. partner the prostitute <laughs> yeah, his like wife after, after a Just, couple of loops he starts yeah. he's like fuck it this isn't real he starts killing everything and then finally he comes to a, a, a Brechtian room where it's all black and there's the little kid sitting in a chair missing fingers and standing next to him like two feet next to him is the um, black jacketed slacked older detective Thorne who's been going around and killing people who's the guy who killed um, Nino Nin and stuff like that that he's been seeing in some of these like visions and then Pinhead walks in between him and is like okay let me break it down for you here he's like don't you get it all your terrible moral choices all your bad decisions all your like taking this stuff for granted is killing all your innocence and your joy and all the things you've loved you're killing yourself don't you get it you're your own personal hell baby like you know and he tells him you've been in the fucking cube since the bathroom so everything since he was he opened the cube has been inside the cube yeah so he's been in a loop very dante's inferno style time shit you know like yeah basically kind of like i mean it's different but like it's very it's it like feels silent very, hilly it feels very similar to the fact that like this he's he's having to face and go through all these like you know like 
levels of like his own personal hell and judgment. It's like if Groundhog's Day met Hellraiser. <laughs> That's kind of good. It's like if the Christmas Carol's Ebenezer Scrooge found a lament configuration. Uh, yeah. So then the Pinraiser's like... Pinraiser? Or Pinraiser. <laughs> Pinhead's like, you're a dick. Bad things are going to keep happening to you. Godspeed. Detective Thorne wakes up and he's like, whoa, that was a fucking weird dream. But Pinhead, let's just say this, Pinhead also says this stuff. Oh, also notice the kid is dressed in kind of whitish clothes and then the older version of him is in black. So you realize everything's been a game and they, they, they meant, a lot of characters mention like it's all a game or like it's kind of like a puzzle. It's like a game. Yeah, so. the movie's not subtle at all. If you don't get it by the last seven seconds of this movie, you, <laughs> you probably fell asleep fe- yeah. on your phone like Garrett did. Because <laughs> it just hammers this home. Um, so then we cut to him in the the police station like he wakes up and he's like yeah. oh i'm in the police station like, what a fucking crazy the coke same dream. scene from earlier and then he gets a phone call and it's like it's daphne the prostitute ah bobcat goldway you know like just kind of like well, it doesn't even get that far he's like hey it's me the prostitute and he shoots himself in the head and well, he wakes up screaming, again and then he throws the phone down and then they're like what was that and he's like he can't do it he shoots himself in the head yeah mm-hmm. he just puts a gun in his mouth shoots himself wakes up again like, no and then he wakes up again and the same situation situation yes and then the phone rings and he answers it yeah. and that's where it all clicks oh no i'm in my own personal repetitive hell it basically is a big morality tale is yeah. what this is it's it's the hellraiser morality tale and that's why i say this movie could have been just as good if not better if it was done by tyler perry and pinhead was Medea. tyler perry presents hellraiser, hellraiser yeah <laughs> Did you guys actually watch the credits, though? Absolutely not. Never. <laughs> I always do this. Some of the names in the credits were fucking amazing. There was a guy named Randy Musselman. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, the Musselman clan. There was yeah. someone called Lord Byron of Mothership. Clearly people that don't want to be associated with this film. <laughs> a lot of these names sounded made up. There was a lot of names that sounded Wait, made up you think in Lord, the credits. Lord Byron of Mothership was made up? No way. <laughs> Spelled L-O-R-D-B-Y-R-O-N of... M-U-T-H-A-S-H-I-P-P-E. Oh, Murthership. You're just pronouncing mother, it No, wrong. Mothership. There's no R. It was just <laughs> Mothership. Mother, mute. Okay. It's Dumas. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my God, I was, this is why I watched the credits of these things. And honestly, at the very end, it's like, they had some Latin and it was all like, for the love of God or something like that. And I was like, I wish it said, Jesus wept. And I was oh, like, see, I that would, that's too we, clever. We looked it up to like see what it translated to. I was like, is that, if that says Jesus wept, I was like, I'm in. That would have been awesome. Uh, even the people who made the credits of this film didn't expect anyone to watch the credits of this film. <laughs> so congratulations. You're probably the first. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked this movie. Here's my hot take. I'm telling you, I said it in the beginning, I think this was a fine movie. It just was a bad Hellraiser movie. It was like a wannabe. It was pre, I guess it was post Silent Hill video game, pre Silent Hill movie, but it was Silent Hill, Jacob's Ladder kind of situation. Like, I really liked that part. It just didn't execute as well. My roommate was like, is this a Jacob's Ladder situation? Like, really <laughs> early in the movie? And I was like, I don't think they'd go. They went with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Big time Jacob's Ladder situation. I think it's okay. And, you know, considering it was a straight to VHS, there's probably worse you could do. Oh, there's probably time. worse in the franchise. Like, so let, that's the question, right? This is the quote unquote worst in show for the Hellraiser franchise. Is this the worst of them? No. You've seen them all, John. I have. Well, so. we're actually, let's hold on that because we're going to have a recap episode where we talk about whether we think that these are indeed the worst 
of shows. Keep no, that it's in your not. Hat. Okay, bam. Mark John with a spoiler, as always. Well, never, if you want to know never. which one is, in my very oh, valued opinion, you give tune a, in. You give them a taste of those cookies right. and you tell them to come back to the bakery. You gotta sell the sizzle, man. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm gonna be the hot take and say I did not like hardly anything about this movie. It was very indicative of the times. And I think yes, that's just the take. Yeah, it's not hot. <laughs> I think I think if it's I pretty average take probably I think if I could have seen this back when it first came out i might have had a very different feel of it but this late in the game i just oh there was so many things about it that i just was like nope i don't I get know no I'd, joy out of this i don't know if i'd have a different opinion in 2000 when it came out versus now i probably would but only because i was like 13 so i would we also hadn't been exposed to as much we hadn't seen how much better things could get we also hadn't seen how worse things could be i we mean just naive and stupid in 2000 but so. the, the, those kind of characters and that kind of feel of movie fit a lot better in the late 90s so i feel like i would have been like oh this is kind of par for the course as opposed to now going like oof y'all really <laughs> like movies come a long way but if you're really getting to number five in the hellraiser franchise and you you're in for some pain of your own i thought this was like seven or eight to be oh, perfectly God, honest, no, I wait. thought this was so much later. Go see seven or eight, and you'll wish you were watching five. <laughs> <laughs> I pine for the days of movie inferno. Well, because six is Hellseeker, and that was the other one this one was up against, and that was the one with Christy or Kirsty. Yeah, and I was—that's the one I wanted to win because I was like, I want to find out what happens to Kirsty. Well, I did a little research and she found dies, out. Dies like in the first. She 10 minutes. dies right away. Like that yeah. was the link, and evidently they film like this big important scene that links that story to the Cenobites and they deleted it out of the movie. Yeah, and they're like, like, nobody's got time for this bullshit. The one thing that connects the stories is the one thing they cut out as a deleted scene. I was like, wow, that's... It just sounds like Hellraiser 5 and 6 were just kind of messed up. And that was also one of those ones that was um, a different story that was shoehorned into being. There's one that takes place on a train, more or less. I mean, technically it takes place like in Romania or some bullshit. Snowpiercer. But it's about a train of the dead. There's so many... Really? That sounds interesting. way cooler than it is, I promise you. (laughs) There's one that... It's about a video game. What? It's a Hellraiser is an MMO. I think it's called Hell World. Yeah. I mean, dude, this series. Hell World? Yeah. I am telling you, you will look back and be like, you know what? Five wasn't so bad. I'd, I'd rather watch be watching five right now. Wow, this actually makes me pine for three, and I didn't enjoy Hellraiser well, three. Three was this, the best one. So, oh no, you're wrong. But um, camera eye guy, love camera face. They're yeah. the best. The Borg, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay, I'm out. Well, listeners, have you seen Hellraiser five colon Inferno? Let us know on our social media. We'd like to know. We thought it was pretty bad. To I don't know. I don't know. This was more of like a uh, a three a Goldilocks and the three bears. I hate this movie. It's it's whatever. Uh, this movie is just right. That's John's take. Uh, but let us know what you think on our social media: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find more of our content at thegravetalk.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another normal show. Not best of, not worst of, just a show. A normal in show. (laughs) Yeah, normal in show.